1: Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for
0: broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: The true purpose of the law is not to get us to heaven. The true purpose of the law is to tell us that we can't get to heaven by keeping it. Romans chapter 3. Verse 20, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We make the law stand because we're the people who use the law properly. We say the law can't get me to heaven. The law shows me that I'm a sinner and that I need salvation.
1: I guess the law works like the pain of appendicitis. It tells you that you have a problem and you'd better see a doctor before you die. The law won't save us. It's not a doctor or a savior, but it tells us we will die without God's help. I would say the law is important, wouldn't you? Hello, this is Peter Silseth saying welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving there for more than 26 years. He has been guiding us in an in-depth study of the first three chapters of the book of Romans. Today is the concluding lesson in this series. In our last class, Pastor Steve was helping us reconcile the writings of Paul and James. James said in chapter 2 verse 24 of his epistle, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well that seems to contradict what Paul has been saying here in Romans chapter 3. But it is not a contradiction. And Pastor Steve is here now to tell us why.
2: James is writing to hypocrites in the church. James is is writing to a group of of Jewish people who claim to be believers, and some probably were, but there are others who were not. And the theme of James' little letter is this, if you've got the root, then let's see the fruit. That's really the theme of James' letter. If you're real, then let, if you have real genuine salvation, then let's see it demonstrated in your life. These were people who claimed to believe in Christ, but they really didn't have saving faith. Look at verse 14. James says, What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, is James saying that a person does have faith? No. Look at it closely. What use is it, my brethren, if a man... What? Says he has, this person says he has faith. He doesn't really have it. And James says, Look, can that faith say, in other words, can that kind of faith save him? No, not at all. Not at all, because that faith is not real, genuine, saving faith. This person doesn't have faith. He only says he has saving faith. If he had true faith in Christ, it would be evident by his works, but it's not. So James says, Can that kind of faith save him? No. The answer is no, because faith that doesn't produce godly works isn't real faith. It's merely intellectual knowledge and agreements about the facts of Christ. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one, he says. Good, you do well, great. But the demons also have this kind of belief and they shudder. He says, you ought to also. In other words, these people just had an intellectual uh, agreement about certain facts. They believed there was God. They believed there was Christ. But that's not what true saving faith is. The answer is no. A pastor I know writes about this. He says, and I think this really illustrates what James is saying. He said, once a lady became very distraught with me after I told you the gospel of Christ, of the free grace of God and the preferred gift of God, of eternal life to those who would trust or believe in Christ. She sat up indignantly in her chair and said, do you mean to tell me that I have to, that all I have to do is sit here and say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'll go to heaven. My answer was no, ma'am. That's not what I said. She asked, well, what did you say? And I replied, if you will believe or trust in Jesus Christ, you will have eternal life as a free gift. She said, you said it again. All I have to do is say that I believe or trust in Jesus Christ and I'll go to heaven. Again, I answered, No, ma'am, that's not what I said. I didn't say it now. I've never said it in the past, under any circumstances, to anyone, anywhere, at any time. I have never made such a statement and never will because it is absolutely false. She asked, Well, then what did you say? I said, I did not say that you would be saved by saying that you believed in Christ, but rather by believing in Him. James says, What does it profit, my brethren, about a man, though a man have faith? Says he has faith but not works. Will that faith save him? No. No, it's not someone who says he has faith. It's someone who's trusting Christ alone. And that's why James gives illustrations in this chapter of of Abraham. Abraham proved his faith by his his obedience. Rahab, though she was a harlot, proved her faith by obedience. True saving faith is invisible. Do we understand that? It is invisible. You can't see it. But. The proof that, that it's there, that it's present in a person, is the living works that manifest itself, that are produced. Ephesians 2.8 and 9, we quoted it before. Let me quote verse 10 as I read the whole passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Why? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know why we've been created for good works, the Bible says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, we're saved by grace alone through faith so that we don't boast. But once we're saved, the proof that we're saved is that our works will manifest themselves. And that's why James, when he comes to verse 24, he says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. What he's saying is this, that that he's not using justification the same way Paul is. Paul is saying that salvation is by trusting Christ, and James is merely illustrating what happens when we do trust Christ. Paul is dealing with self-righteous, with the self-righteous individual who would deny that faith in Christ is for salvation. On the other hand, James is dealing with people who would reduce faith to mere mental agreement with a creed or a doctrine, and James is saying justification before men. Paul is saying justification before God. Men will see that that you're declared righteous by your good works. Don't deceive yourself. Never deceive yourself into thinking you're saved because once, a long time ago, you prayed a prayer of salvation. If there's no continuing works in your life or there has never been godly works and desire to obey God, then according to what James says, that you ought to shudder just like the demons because you don't have true saving faith. A man is justified before men by his works, not by faith alone. But if you have true saving faith, your life will take on works. Not boastful, because it's still the grace of God. It's not that it'll get you to heaven, but a person who's on his way to heaven will manifest saving faith by godly works, because the life of Jesus Christ lives in you and it must manifest itself. And I hear people all the time say, well, I... You know, when I was young, I prayed a prayer. Well, has there ever been a time where your life took on any kind of change? Is there a... no? No, listen. Don't say because I prayed a prayer that I'm saved. Salvation is not praying a prayer. It's not walking an aisle. It's not shaking the pastor's hand. It's, you know what salvation is? It's true, genuine trust in Christ. His work on the cross. It is that attitude which says, Christ died for me. I know I'm going to go to heaven. I trust what he's done for me. And that settles it. But involved in that trust is a submission to Christ's lordship. And I think this is where people go off the mark. They just want mere intellectual belief. Yes, come into my life. Be my and And they go through these words, but there is no yielding, no submission to his lordship. Now that's a growing attitude, but there must be there. Even at the beginning, initial stages of, of salvation, that there must be a submission to who Christ is and he is Lord. An attitude of, of I want Christ to rule over me. I may not know all the areas he's going to rule, but at least I want to submit to his Lordship. This is the faith that Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 3. You can turn back there. When a, when a person puts his trust in Christ, he shuts the door on any boasting in himself. Instead, he boasts of the Lord in the grace of God. Now, that took a long time. The rest rest of the message won't. So let's quickly go through that. It eliminates boasting. Not only that, it excludes no one. Look at verses 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. If indeed God is one, and he will justify the circumcised by faith, he means the Jew by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith, he means the Gentiles through faith. What's he saying? first glance, these verses might not mean a thing, but they're very important. What's the point Paul's making? This is it, follow. He's saying, look, if salvation come, would come by the works of the law, then the only ones who could be saved are who? Jewish people, right? Because Gentiles don't have the written law, so it would only be for Jewish people. And if that's the case, there must be two gods. One who provides salvation for Jews and one who provides salvation for Gentiles. Let me take it a step further. Paul is saying that there's only one God, so there must be only one way of salvation. He can't have two methods of saving people, one for Jews and one of works, and one for Gentiles by faith. If God is going to say both Jew and Gentile, it must be the same way, and a way that's available to all, and that way is by faith. That's Paul's point. Now that is a, was and still is a crushing blow to the religious person, and especially the Jew of Paul's day. You know what the foundational truth of Judaism has always been? It's called the Shema Yisrael, which means hear, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God is one. That has always been the foundational truth of Judaism. While Gentiles worshipped false gods, the the Bible still recognized that God was the God of the Gentiles. He's their maker, he's the sovereign one, he's their ruler. They may not have worshipped him and acknowledged him, but the Bible still says there's only one God. All the other gods in the world are false gods, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 they're demons. People don't know that, but they're demons. That's why you hear of all kinds of miraculous things going on. They say, well, look, it shows that my God is at work. Yeah, a demon is at work.
1: In fact, Satan and his demons often disguise themselves to trick people into trusting them. But that's a subject for a different study. Let's take a moment to say hello to those who have just joined us you are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is wrapping up a series of lessons from the first three chapters of Romans. Before we get back to class, he has an important announcement to make.
3: Hi, this is Steve Kreloff. I wanted to take a few moments today to tell you how pleased I am that you're listening to Verse by Verse. Our goal here at Verse by Verse is to teach people the Word of God so that they'll be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and glorify God. I hope that you've been learning and growing in your faith as you've listened to our broadcasts. As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that verse by verse needs your financial support. It's costly to prepare and broadcast these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax-deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, which is versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. Thank you, and may our Lord richly bless and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse.
1: Let's get back to class now and discuss how salvation by grace both glorifies God and established his law.
2: Even though the Gentiles didn't acknowledge Jehovah as the one true God, he still was, and the Bible recognized that. That Jonah recognized that. Remember when God sent him to Nineveh and Jonah said, there's no way I'm going. He got on a boat and went the opposite direction. Why? Because because Jonah was a prejudiced person who did not want Gentiles repenting and God dealing with them in salvation. But in that, there's a recognition that Jonah is acknowledging that God is the God of Gentiles as well. One God means one salvation, one way, by faith. And that's the only way that could be fair to Jews and Gentiles. Now, why why does this glorify God? Because it enhances his unity. It is an acknowledgment that there is none like him. There is no other God. It It enhances his unity and it stresses his impartiality. If it were only by works and the law, then wouldn't that be unfair to the Gentiles who didn't have the law? Let's apply it today. If salvation were only for only for those who who knew the truth about the Bible and could keep the Bible, which we can, but but try to keep it, then wouldn't that be unfair to people who didn't know enough about the Bible to keep it? Or how about another way of looking at it? If it if if I could work my way to heaven by doing charitable deeds and giving money away and doing volunteer service then wouldn't that be unfair to those who didn't have the resources to do that? People who, who, who didn't have the money to give away. People who didn't have time to do volunteer service. People who couldn't give uh, their time and do charitable deeds. Wouldn't that be unfair? See, that's what Paul is saying. Salvation by works would not glorify God. Salvation by faith glorifies God because it shows there's only one God. One God. The unity of God is stressed and his impartiality comes through. See, as far as salvation is concerned, God deals with everyone equally. That's why the salvation is on the basis of faith, not works. And, and this will help you when you witness to people. I, I hear this all the time. You, well, I've got my religion. It's not for me. Or I've heard Jewish people say, well, look, I'm Jewish and this isn't for me. The answer to that, if there's only one God, then it's for all of us. God doesn't deal with Jews one way and Gentiles with other, another way as far as salvation is concerned. There's only one method of salvation if there's only one God. And if you tear that down, then you tear down the foundation of Judaism and I might add the foundation of Christianity. There's only one God. So, it excludes boasting. Justification by faith excludes boasting and it eliminates no one. It also, thirdly, establishes the law of God. Paul just keeps hammering home at this. He's, he's not going to let up. This is the foundation of salvation, and we can't, we, that we can't be saved by keeping the law. It's by faith alone apart from him. Apart from the law, rather. And the Jew reading this at, at Rome at this time, I imagine, is getting just knots in, his, in, his, in the pit of his stomach because he thinks Paul is destroying the, the high law of God by his teaching of grace and faith. But what does Paul say? Look at verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Do we tear it down? Is that what we're doing? Are we destroying the law? Is that what we're doing when we preach this? Are we destroying the law of God? Paul says, may it never be. In other words, a thousand times, no, never. On the contrary, Paul says, just the opposite. We establish the law, which means we make it stand. We help it. We have it stand up. Do we make the law worthless? Are we doing that? Are we people who, because we believe in salvation by grace through faith, discard the law, make it worthless? No, absolutely not. We, and we alone, who believe this and teach this, are the only ones who make the law stand. Let me explain. How does the gospel of grace through, through faith in Christ establish the law? Two sides of one coin. Number one, the gospel of grace through faith Establishes the law by allowing the law to fulfill its true purpose. The true purpose of the law is not to get us to heaven. The true purpose of the law is to tell us that we can't get to heaven by keeping it. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We make the law stand because we're the people who use the law properly. We say the law can't get me to heaven. The law shows me that I'm a sinner and that I need salvation. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. The apostle Paul, great verse, he says this. What should we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not sinned. said, you shall not covet. The law revealed to Paul that he was covetous. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, same truth. Galatians 3, 24, says this. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. All the law did was reveal to us that we can, couldn't get to heaven by the law, and it simply tutored us along and taught us. It was our schoolmaster It said, here, here's grace through faith. This is what you need, not the law to get you to heaven. The law is established by faith because it reveals to sinners like us our inability to keep the law, and it drives us to faith in Christ. That's the first side of the coin. Flip it over, and the doctrine of grace through faith establishes the law because it recognizes that the penalty of breaking the law has to be met, and it was met in Christ. Illustration. In the wilderness, a man was found gathering up sticks to make a fire on the Sabbath day. Just just doing that just getting sticks together make a fire on the Sabbath day but the law said the law said you shall not you, you shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations on the Sabbath day how then was the law to be established now take a guess how are they established someone broke the law do they establish it by letting the lawbreaker off and say don't do it again or do they establish it by securing uh, a promise to keep the law in, in the future you know well, you broke it now, but if you promise you'll never do it again, we'll let you off. No, none of those ways. Or by finding someone who kept this commandment always perfectly and saying, look, uh, his obedience will, will reckon it to your account. No, not at all. You know how the law was established? Numbers 15, verse 33 says this. And they found him gathering sticks, brought him in unto Moses and Aaron, and unto all the congregation, And they put him inward because it had not been declared what should be done to him. And Jehovah said unto Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. You know how the law has been established? Penalty has been carried out. The law demanded it. The law demanded perfect obedience and when there was disobedience, there was to be death. You say, well, how does our message, how does salvation by grace through faith establish that? We're saying that the penalty has been paid in Christ. All of our sins, all of our break, all the breaking of the law that we have ever done. The law demands obedience and it demands that there be a penalty for disobedience. And that has taken place. But if you say that salvation is by works, then you tear it down, just like the Pharisees. The the law is is torn down when, when men and women lower its holy standards. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And they pretend that they're keeping the Ten Commandments. You ever hear somebody say, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. They tear down the law by trying to say that I can work my way into heaven. They tear it down because you inevitably have to lower the holy standards of God because you know that you can't keep those high standards. So you lower it and you twist it and you, you, you do it in order to appease your own conscience. But we, on the other hand, we establish the law for its rightful purpose and the penalty that's been met. In fact, I really believe there ought to be more preaching about the law and from the law because by the law comes the knowledge of sin. People ought to know that they haven't kept the law. How does this glorify God? We exalt his holy standards. We don't tear down the law. We exalt it in its right, rightful use and purpose. So what are we saying as we close? Salvation is by grace through faith alone. And thank God it is. I hope you're thankful for the salvation that is not only this way, but it's the only way it could be and bring God glory. This is the only way we could ever be right with God. Any other way would simply, you know, be something to pat ourselves on the back and say, aren't we wonderful? God wants to receive glory from you, from me, and he's done that by saving us. Why? It excludes boasting, so it exalts his grace. It eliminates no one, so it exalts his unity. It establishes the law, so it exalts his holiness. And that's, that is what salvation is all about. God. From the beginning to the end, it's all God.
1: That really sums up everything, doesn't it? Salvation is all about God from the beginning to the end. It's all God. This completes our series of lessons from Romans chapter 1 through 3. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I'll tell you in a moment how you can download the whole audio series from our website. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside for more than 26 years and his messages come to you through this great radio station and through Verse by Verse Ministries. Your prayers and gifts help a great deal in keeping these daily Bible classes on the air. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download today's class or any other class in this series at the website. You are welcome to share the lesson with friends as long as you do not charge them for it. We also offer, on our website, a way for you to sign up for our free podcasting service, which will ensure that you catch all of our future classes. That's versebyverseradio.org. The entire message from which our class today was taken is available for order on CD or cassette. To order one, call us at 727 727- 4411714 Leave your name and a number and we will call you back during weekday office hours.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.